welcome to the Simpleton Podcast, the most popular podcast in heaven, and not as importantly, the podcast Satan Hates. Has Satan been attacking you, Laura Heeman? Yes. <laughs> Don't act so weak. <laughs> All right. Satan's been attacking our podcast, but we've also been getting good feedback. Um, we'll revisit Satan here in a second. Um some of my friends over the last week have come up to me and said that they're really enjoying the podcast and they're like people who I respect, you know, in lots of ways. I res- hopefully I respect everyone, but these are people who I think definitely have great spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really cool to hear them say they like the podcast, particularly because I tried to hide the podcast from my friends. <laughs> Which has been my tactic as well. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But somehow they find it. All right. Okay. We're going to have an invite for listener feedback on the Western suicide cult idea. Um, We're then we're going to show the seek video that we made. Um, Ben, our editor here is the production manager for our seek video. It's a 90 second video uh, for recruiting purposes. We're going to talk about just homes, which had some really good news over the last month or so. And we're going to have an audio essay, which is a thing we've done in the past. And we're going to talk about Twitter. Clark has been perma-banned from Twitter. We're going to talk about what that means and what we think of the X platform. All right. Let's go into the Western suicide cult. All right. We've talked about how there is this desire within Western civilization to, in a sense, destroy Western civilization. Here's kind of the marks of it. It's kind of a burn it all down mentality as opposed to a reform or build mentality. Like they, mm-hmm. they almost have no constructive things to do. It's always a tear down. Idea. Yeah. It's so evil. It would be better to tear it down. Right. And then I think most people are kind of know that if you just tear it all down, what takes place in the chaos could be far worse than whatever you have now. Right. Right. Um, um, and the, this notion is it's kind of like, tear it all down because we have so disrespected, you know, our rights and our, um, you know, whatever, which are ideas that come and have been made possible by Western civilization. (laughs) Right. And it's, it's a, um, it's a native cancer to civilization. It's not from Mm -hmm. the East. It's not from the Middle East. It's not from Islam. It's like this cancer that Western civilization developed by itself, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's also funny because it's like, the things they're attacking Western civilization for, you know, in the grand scheme of history, it feels like Western civilization has been the best at protecting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's just kind of all curious. Uh, another mark of it is that it's somehow very contagious and it goes viral. Um, it's sometimes part of, but it's also so multifaceted. It's like, it kind of is in the BLM movement. It's kind of in the woke movement. It's kind of in the environmentalism movement at times. It's in the anti-colonialism movement. Yeah. Um, it's kind of what Jane, yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of in the feminist movement, right? Mm-hmm. It's also um, kind of what JP two would call the culture of death. But I don't mm-hmm. think that, I think when he said that term, although I don't know because he lived through communism and he saw just how bad culture, mm-hmm. like how bad burn it all down can get, you know what yeah. I mean? So I don't know if he meant this, but when he said culture of death, I kind of thought he meant people in Paris pushing, you know, uh, baby strollers with puppies in them. You know what I mean? Like basically letting pets replace children and things like this as part of the culture of death and abortion and things. 
But somehow that is also part of this like burn it all down mentality, like that nihilism or whatever. All right, so here's our question. We know that this is a complex phenomena. It's not as simple as just saying, hey, it's Marxism. Mm -hmm. Or it's not as simple as saying, here's the cause. It's the causes, bad history, education, in elementary school, right? But there are causes. And my question is for our listeners who we want you to email us what you think. What do you think are the top three causes or the most underrated causes? Because you can kind of go on all day just listing possible causes. But if you were to say, if we were to say three causes, or which could end up being the three things that need fixed, what are those three causes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lauren, I would like to discuss that in a future yeah. podcast. Yeah. So please send us, please send us your ideas. All right. Now let's uh, switch gears a little bit. We're going to play a video that was created for Simple House. So, Simple House has been ready to expand for a while, but we haven't had all the pieces fall in place at the right time. So to expand, you need um, the missionaries to staff the new location, and you particularly, separately from just missionary staff, you need a leader. Mm -hmm. You need someone who is formed well enough in Simple House they can actually do it, and then you need the money, right? Mm -hmm. And the missionaries and the leader have been the harder part than the money for us. Um, That doesn't mean that if I appeal to you directly to help support Simplos doesn't mean we don't need it. But <laughs> yeah. um, so this year we're going to the focus conference, which is projected to be 19,000 fired up Catholic college students in St. Louis, Missouri. We're one of the major sponsors of this conference. And here's our video. For those of you who are listening, the videos images are going to be, um, there's a bunch of chaotic images at the very beginning of like alcohol at a homeless camp, um, some signs of poverty, um, just kind of inner city images that don't look great. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes on to like showing missionaries walking to do ministry, praying with people, eating with people, et cetera, et cetera, and praying together. Those are kind of the images that are on the screen while this happens. I'm ready. Here we go. There is room in the Catholic church for prostitutes, addicts, and sinners. Let's invite them in. The poor are a treasure. We visit them to receive their blessing. We eat with them and address problems through friendship. God is the nuclear solution to poverty. No person who is with God is poor, and everyone senses this. You feel fortunate to be in their presence. There is no formula for mission work. There is no recipe for saints. When the world needed St. Francis, the world couldn't fathom him. His witness was a gift from God. A simple house is a place of prayer, daily mass, liturgy of the hours, grand silence. A place of voluntary poverty. No internet, no smartphones, no AC, and you live in the neighborhood you serve. No requirement to fundraise. This opportunity is for a few. We are not looking for the talented or polished. We are looking for those that Jesus dared. Christ is dangerous. He is the Prince of Peace and a threat to the world. Keep Christ dangerous. All right, Laura Heeman. All right, Clark Massey. I I love the video. I'm very excited about the video. And I think there's like something 
I, I think we have like two types of volunteers that come to a simple house. Um, and I think that, um, we have people that kind of want to do like, you know, um, a year of service and, um, they like that idea. They want to be generous with God before they move into their career, family life or whatever it is. Um, they think that simple house is like pretty solid, you know, and we are happy to have those volunteers. And then we get people that have like an itch they need to scratch <laughs> and they need to like find a place where they can like really, really, really go for it and do something weird for God. And they're not going to be satisfied <laughs> if it's like a half measure. And we're trying to find those people and create a place where people can do that. You know, I think like you, Ryan and I have kind of expressed ideas like this to each other. And, and sometimes it's hard to put it in words. Like I just needed a place to go be weird or something, you know? Um, We've always said, you know, the two parts of what we're doing, one's like the monastic part, like the prayer, mm -hmm. the silence, the growth like that. And then the other part of what we're doing is actually the missionary work, the love of the poor, the mm -hmm. being with the poor, the receiving from the poor, all mm -hmm. that stuff. Right. And you know, if you come here for a year of service, we're actually trying to get change your mindset into like really tapping into the monastic, really tapping into this like really involved mission work, right? Yeah. And some people come just innately wanting that. You don't even have to convince them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my sense is that if there's a thousand college students, I know that every year someone is graduating Ohio State and the University of Texas and these mega schools. There's at least one person graduating who needs to be at Simple House. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and somehow we're not getting to do them. something radical. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if there's yeah. a thousand college kids, I'm okay turning off 999 if I can turn on one. Mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. rather hit a home run with one and strike out 999 times, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what we went for with this was yeah. to like do you, say, do you think, I, I, yeah. So I'm curious, like, what you're expecting. Um, you think some people are going to watch the video and be like, hmm, not for me. <laughs> I hope think? so. Yeah. I don't care about that at all. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I want to hit, I want to hit the, like, I think that there's, like, when we started doing this, what was interesting was there were volunteer fairs across the nation that were Catholic volunteer fairs. Yeah. Right. And they were in circuits. Like you'd show up in Ohio and you'd have yeah. like five universities and there'd be a day at each university yeah. where they would, you know, take a area where you put up a table and try to recruit students. Right. And when that was happening, we were always the most kind of weirdly religious, weirdly experiential group there. You know, like everyone else was kind of running like a Catholic Peace Corps type program. Yeah. It felt like, you know, and, um, in the last 20 years, we've kind of, I'm not even sure those uh, circuits still exist, you know? Yeah, because like, I mean, they might, but we haven't tried to go to them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, we quit going to them at least 10 years ago, but I, I don't know that they exist at all. But there's something about when you go to them that we had to like differentiate ourselves. We had to be like, no, this is a very different experience mm -hmm. than that, you yeah. know? And now there's these other groups that are more of our ilk in a way. Like, um, there's the vagabond missionaries who do kind of like youth inner city missions. Yeah. There's the, um, Christ in the city group. Uh, we, we, I, I, this is probably coming out after we interviewed their founder. So that's cool. 
Um, there's also, you know, focus missionaries, things like this. There's just other groups that are trying to like give people a very intense spiritual like thing. Mm-hmm. And I still think we're different than those, yeah. um, the way we approach things. Uh, but it's just a different thing, you know, these days. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see like this, this conference is a conference that we've been going to for a very long time. And we usually get one to two applicants out mm-hmm. of it, you mm-hmm. know? And if we can jump one to two to 10 by becoming a much bigger presence at the conference, it's going to be very changing for our ministry. Yeah. So pray for that. Also pray for us that we can handle that if it actually happens. Cause yeah. I'm kind of worried about that too. <laughs> yeah. Just I'm like prepared, just the interviews. I'm preparing for yeah. success. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Success is kind of scary. If it doesn't yeah. work, I'll be very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we will have tried something, made a mistake and not have to do it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, so that's the Seek video. Um, ben, um, who produces our podcast, made that video. Right. And, and if you need, a, like, Catholic video or any kind of production, he has his own company. So Yes, he's based out of Iowa. It's called Totus Media. He was mm-hmm. a couple-year missionary with us, um, and he has camera while travel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, next topic, Just Homes. So Just Homes is a spinoff ministry from Simple House. Um, it's officially spun off now. And what it is, is over the years, we were working with homeless people who were mentally ill in a fairly severe way. And there was really no hope. After years and years of work, we discovered there's really no hope of ever pushing them through the system. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to talk about safety nets here in a minute. But there was no hope to like get them access to the basic services that are provided to the poor, you know? Uh, we tried everything. Yeah, because they weren't willing or they were paranoid or they didn't fit kind of the normal. Right. Yeah. And they would tell you they're okay. They wouldn't even ask for help, but they were clearly not okay. Right. 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 And they were clearly just going to die from exposure if yeah. it just kept going on. Mm-hmm. And so we were confronted with this moral problem of like, all right, this is a 70 year old woman. She's going to exp- spend this winter underneath the bridge. Mm hmm. You know, as she spent the last five, six winters, mm-hmm. um, are we going to do something about this or not? And the only thing to do is to literally provide them a home. Yeah. You know, and we can do it in a way that no one else can because we're her friends. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So over the years, we have gotten three homes um, and are sheltering six people because in two of the homes, we actually found whole families that were disabled like this. Yeah, um, um, but this, like multiplexes, you said three homes, right? They're like, or duplexes? What? One's a duplex and one's a single family home. Okay. Mm. All right. And they have not left. Like we've been like, you know, accompanying them, uh, checking in on them, uh, inviting them to simple house functions, you know, doing things with them and, and dealing with some of the problems, the strange problems that they'll have, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll think that someone snuck in their basement, wiped ice, cake icing on the floor, and um, they will call 911 about this, you know, yeah. and call me. All right. So this all was becoming its own ministry. And we realized, well, you know, I don't know that we should be using donations meant for Catholic mission work for housing these people long term. Mm-hmm. Um should we like start, should we spin this off and also allow it to raise funds beyond like people willing to spend money for Catholic mission work? Mm-hmm. Right. So we did, and it took me forever. I, I offered kind of this 
ministry to multiple groups, say, hey, do you want to take this and run with this? Do you want to take this and run with this? And finally, we found someone who's an old missionary of ours named Amanda Pence. Okay. She um, has taken this starting around last January and has run with it and is doing great. You know, um, she ended up getting okayed for a grant from the city of Kansas City, Missouri. Um, we hope that grant's going to be about $50,000. She's been raising money Woo! from individual donors. So that's yeah. huge news right there. It was mm -hmm. kind of wild that she got that. We've been meeting with like fairly high up people like in the state uh, and county governments who run fairly large organizations and they're willing to like have lunch and like talk to us about what we're doing. And it's been like super encouraging. Part of what's encouraging is that these people seem to be sincere people, you know, that they seem to be high quality, sincere people who really do want to help the poor but are very realistic about like the apparatuses they run. Mm -hmm. Right. And they are loving what just homes is. And they're very impressed that the mentally ill that we're sheltering have not abandoned the housing. Yeah. Cause that is the big problem is that mm -hmm. you can put someone with schizophrenia in public housing and two years later they're gone. Yeah. You know? So the fact that we haven't lost anyone in the last five years from the housing is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, and also I think they're very impressed because they haven't seen a group do this with just private donations, Yeah, you know, um, almost all the groups that are private that do this are big public private partnerships. Like the majority mm -hmm. of their funds are coming from a government program. So we're actually mm -hmm. going to try to get access to that and grow this. Um, and then Amanda got invited to pitch just homes in front of the County legislature. Right. Cool. So I think it's about 20, 30 people in the county legislature and they're determining funding. Right. And when you looked at the list and she was only given three minutes with two minutes of uh, Q&A. And when you looked at the list of the people she was presenting with, there were like people like the county hospital. Like most <laughs> of these groups were like mega like established we, we groups. And it's Tens like of thousands of people. Yeah. <laughs> every and, year. And, it, yeah, <laughs> and then we're a little group that has three housing units, six poor mentally ill people uh -huh. and Amanda, who basically makes a minimum wage going forward, trying to get this done. You know what I mean? And so she it happened to conflict with a political science class she teaches at a little local oh, university. Yeah. So she just told all the students to come oh, to the legislature. Yes. Meeting. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So she gave her three minute pitch, right? And one of the legislators said, Um, I just want to say what everyone here is thinking. Hallelujah. Wow. And another one said, you should have asked for more money. Oh, wow. Right. And she asked actually for the max, which was like, you know, half a year's operating budget or something, which was about $30,000. Yeah. Um, that's including a lot of renovation expenses. Like our operating budget's probably even lower than that. But, um, and then multiple of the legislature members asked to meet her, asked her to stay longer so they could meet her before she left. You know, that's so awesome. just huge, beautiful, cool. It's just, it's cool both... I have to say, you know, when you're working on something small and gritty like this, just the encouragement's quite valuable. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But I actually think it's going to turn into real growth for Just Homes. That's awesome. So God bless Amanda. She's an occasional mm -hmm. podcast listener. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're sneaking in a special little We're thing. We're sneaking in a special little thing. All right. Do you guys remember 
the song I'll Be Missing You by no. uh all right. Can you sing it? No. <laughs> it's um All right, just a second. Ben, play a piece of yeah. I'll Be Missing You. It's it's sting, it's based on I'll be I'll be watching you or whatever. What's the sting song? I'll be it's that creepy stalker song that uh, Sting sings, but they change the words the police, to, right? When yeah, Sting was um, in the police. Yeah. Uh, so they change it to I'll Be Missing You. And it was um, after Biggie was murdered, um, uh, his ex-wife and Puff Daddy, or Diddy, who was then known as Puff Daddy, released this song. And, and it's very sad and heart-wrenching. And it was... Played at many a funeral, you know, uh, in that time. But for some reason, I, I heard this song the other day and there's a line in it where he says, um, watching over us as we pray for you every day, we pray for you. And I was like, oh, is Puff Daddy Catholic? <laughs> um, and I looked it up and it turned out he went to Catholic school. He was an altar boy. And there's an interesting thing that you go to like funerals when people have been murdered, like non-Catholic people, and it's like you're taking consolation that this person is in heaven and they're living a better life. But then there's this like fiery preaching about how if you don't get off the streets, you're going to go to hell. And it's like, well, which is it, you know? And I think this is like an interesting thing that Catholics can bring to ministry, that we pray for our dead. I feel like a lot of people... Um, have not been to a funeral like you just described. Okay. So we've been to it's something that we go to many funerals yeah. like this, right? Yeah. And, but, but an interesting thing is like, I, I think if you've grown up in Catholic culture, you don't realize that praying for your dead is a unique thing. Right. Yeah. It's not unique in the sense that like, you know, Japanese culture does it. And like so many cultures independently have come yeah. to the I, I don't idea know if like, it. There, which if there are Protestant churches that pray for their dead, but that's like we we pray for people to go to heaven after they died. And in a lot of Protestant churches, it's like they're in heaven or they're not in heaven. There's not there's not this sense of like we're praying for you. And I think this is like a really powerful thing to bring to ministry, because when you have a family member that's been like living the street life die, you know, it's like very complicated feelings about what is what has happened to this person, you know, <laughs> um, and the idea that you could that you could pray for someone to go to heaven even after they've died, I, I think is a huge consolation. What? Why are you looking so unconvinced? I think this is a really interesting. I know, I know, but like, uh, but you're kind of acting like the judgment has their salvation has not been achieved at the point of death, and then you can help make it achieved or something like that. I think. The idea of purgatory leaves a lot more space <laughs> for kind of people that have lived messy lives, you know, um, and maybe there was still like some love for God in there and some room for mercy, but there was also a lot of ugly in their lives and you're not sure how sorry they were for all that. And they died an ugly death. You have a lot more hope for. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more hope for salvation. Yeah. Um. I've often wondered, though, like even when I do this type of prayer that like in a sense, has their die been cast and I'm just trying to move them from purgatory to heaven or like what's going on here? I also have this funny reflection that's like if I'm deeply thankful for someone's very existence, 
Like I'm just thankful to God that they mm-hmm. were created and they exist. Yeah. It's hard to simultaneously feel that thankfulness and think that they're in hell. Like it seems yeah. so weird. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Th- this is like something you can, you can pray for anyone that has died as a right. Catholic and you can ask God to receive that person into heaven and God works outside of time. And is right. that, did that prayer, is it working retroactively somehow, you know, and how right. we understand. And I think this, I think that's like a rich part of being a Catholic is that we pray for our dead. And I think it's why it's very powerful that we invited um, some of our ministry people to all souls um, celebrations this year. And I, I think this is, if any of them do go to church or have any like Christian background, this is not, this is just not part of it. And, and I think it, it, it is, it is like a little bit of hope, you know? Yeah. Even if you're really rigid about your ideas about heaven and hell, Praying for someone in hell, sure not going to hurt them. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's just, it's, I, I think also it's just like a person has an eternal soul and we don't act like the story is over once they're dead and what happens exactly. I don't know, you know, but, but, but I, I mean, do you agree with this about the funerals? Like everyone's like, oh, they're, they're in a better place now, but then you get these like homilies about the street life. Yeah, we need to like explain that. We need to explain that to people just because like it's something that you and I've witnessed multiple times that yeah. a lot of people haven't. So if you are like at like if a tragedy happens in the inner city, like a young man dies on the street, mm-hmm. gets killed, like gets right? murdered, shot. Yes. Yeah. There's this weird kind of schizophrenic funeral that happens where um, you get like the they're in heaven now type. Mm-hmm. sentiment and prayer or preaching mm-hmm. and then it immediately turns to a hellfire brimstone preaching mm-hmm. and you're like what the hell man yeah like, yeah. like what is actually whiplash. what yeah. actually are we like what's yeah. the theme here you yeah. know what i mean and um yeah it's almost like they have these two like tropes or whatever and they can't quite figure it out yeah and the idea of just like praying for the dead is not part of it no right and that is really cool to give people permission to do it. And I think it reminds me of saying Pope Benedict said where Pope Benedict was. Um, I feel like this is in one of his interview books when they were kind of act, talking about how Catholicism sometimes enculturates something that's in a native tradition mm-hmm. into the religion. Mm-hmm. And you can think about that in many ways. You could also just say that native tradition had a truth that we're just honoring, you know. But one of the things he said was they talked about praying for the dead whether or not that was part of something we enculturated because so many traditions pray for the ancestors mm-hmm. you know, or ancestor worship. Right. And they said, D- is this like, is Catholicism having this part of just like us enculturating other ideas? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I have dug deep and found no, that this is actually very native to Catholicism. Mm. But then, then he said something funny. He goes, <laughs> but if it wasn't native to Catholicism, we probably would have just made it up. <laughs> Because it's so natural to do. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was kind of a great statement. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love this idea also of like extending to non-Catholics, like, you know, you've had this horrible tragedy. Hey, in our church, we have this tradition of like praying for our, our dead, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like, a, I think it's a beautiful thing to offer to people. And um Yeah. 
Right. Or even just honoring the dead or being thankful for them. You know, that's just a beautiful thing. You know, I think that thankfulness yeah. is a prayer, actually. Um, I guess a prayer is supposed to be a request, I think, by definitionally. But I just think that thankfulness for, like, the gift of your dad who's passed or yeah. your grandfather or grandmother, you know, is just a great thing. I, I, I think so. I, I do think... Like specifically because I mean, I'm, I'm saying like everyone has a messy life for the most part, you know, like they, they I would say the majority of the people we know that die, like there's, you know, lots of emotions. Right. And they're not they weren't all, all just like perfect saints. You know, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. And I, I think that that it just gives like a hopeful and I, not that this is just to comfort people, but it does give like a comforting and hopeful way to deal with their death and not act like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and we learned this from Puff Daddy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> P- or rather, Puff Daddy is an evangelist of this. He is an after, evangelist of this. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. good. I don't think he is uh, still Catholic. Also, he's being sued. He's got multiple sexual assault uh, suits right now, but... Um. Laura, you're ruining your point now. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> like you said, there's complex figures. Complex. <laughs> <laughs> he did a good thing, though. All right. Um, all right. Moving on. Audio essay. All right. This little micro essay came out with our Christmas letter. It's making kind of a point that you don't hear made very much. So I will read it, um, and then we'll get... Laura's reaction and also interested in audience reactions, but it's a point that it's, you know, not said usually safety net versus lifeline. The U S safety net is a mix of public programs, charities, churches, and public private partnerships. This net prevents someone from living in complete destitution. When we see destitution, something strange has happened. It's common to think about, what would I do if an economic tragedy hit my family? It's an important question. It's good to make a strategy. How would you spend your limited money? Where would you seek shelter? How would you find food? How would you start to rebuild? This is a worthwhile reflection for everyone. When people meet the poor, they compare their strategy to the actions of the poor. It's shocking to see that the actions of the poor are not a strategy to escape poverty. Sometimes they're a strategy to merely maintain, and at worst, they are self-destructive. If this was just a strategy problem, we would just hire more social workers to help people through the systems. When someone starts to execute a good plan, they experience help and sabotage. The sabotage usually comes from their family and peers. Seeing success makes people's, makes someone's failure more painful. The hatred of success is a sneaky problem and people don't want to admit it. It's a cultural, spiritual, and psychological problem. The helps generally come from people who find it satisfying to see someone better their life. Sometimes these people can have counterproductive motives. When they take pride in their role, their help usually falls flat. The only productive motivation is a realistic love for the other. The call to rescue. These claims about U.S. poverty are hard to accept. Simple House missionaries become convinced after meeting the destitute and reflecting on the encounter. As they grasp the real problem, they're taken aback. The issue is a bigger human problem, and the problem does not have a political or material solution. 
The safety net requires a person to complete a few steps before they have access. The most basic steps are birth certificate, social security card, and an ID. Our missionaries share a meal, sit in waiting rooms, and pay fees. Even with this help and encouragement, it's difficult to get people to complete these basic steps. A destitute person does not want to use a safety net. They give complex and varied reasons, but the basics are simple. They do not have hope that life can be better, and they don't believe that God or anyone else wants better for them. Intoxication and momentary distraction feel more real than love or trust. The important work of a missionary is to give the person a lifeline, not a safety net. We share the gifts of faith, hope, and love so that someone grabs the line. This is done by words and actions. The most important actions are these. Prayer, showing a real interest in the person, eating with them, and offering to cooperate with them. Faith, hope, and love are the foundation of a good life. With these three things, someone can live a great life with very simple things. This is the witness of a monastic cell, and I have found people living this witness in every community that has the basic necessities. There are some places without the basic necessities. I don't find this witness in a homeless encampment. When missionaries see this work as difficult, something is wrong with their perspective. Each person is made in the image and likeness of God. Each one is, is a spectacular creation. There is no sin that takes away the glory of the base creation. Sin just tarnishes the creation. The way a gearhead loves cars, we need to love people. The car lover sees a rusty car in a field and becomes excited. The old car doesn't function, but it shows the potential and the genius of its creator. The restoration requires an enormous investment of time and treasure, and the end result is better than new. The whole affair is a little irrational, but car lovers willingly go through the process. Jesus does this for man, and we're invited to join Jesus in this work. The ultimate sacrament is love. All sacraments serve love, and we want our ministry to be creative love. All acts of love are eternal. Even if they do not have an obvious consequence in this world, they do not pass away, and they will never be a regret. The safety net is a good thing. It's primarily created by institutions. A lifeline is a holy thing. It is created by individuals cooperating with God. All right. Um, I, I think, a a thing just from the beginning that I, I feel like we have to explain to a lot of people who, um, maybe have not spent a lot of time in the projects or, uh, in poorer neighborhoods is the idea of like, you're talking about sort of the safety net that has been set up by government and churches, et cetera. But a lot of us have built in safety nets with our families, you know, and, um, if something goes wrong for Ryan and I, we have his mom, we have his brother, we have my parents, we have our siblings, you know, um, who would be able to devote some time and resources, <laughs> you know, to helping us out. Um, and, uh, there's, there's just like a lot between us and the danger of destitution, I guess. <laughs> um, and I, I think that that's an important thing for people to understand and um and i think this idea that you said that uh people like want to come and or not want to it's kind of natural you like see people and and they 
a lot of times people that are kind of new to our ministry, either new volunteers or part-time volunteers, um, they like compare the strategies and they don't understand <laughs> like, well, why don't they just do this? Well, why don't they just do that? You know, and, and those are not dumb questions. They're not dumb questions. Right. Um, and you know, and it might be like, well, why doesn't this person just get a job? You know, and, it, and it's like, I wish I could figure out <laughs> how to make that possible, <laughs> you know? Um, but, but that there's a lot between there's, there's, a, there, there's like a lot of steps to getting a job that, um, maybe a person with a more functional upbringing assumes and doesn't see. Gosh, I, I feel like the solution is simpler. You know I mean? Like, like, like somehow like all this difficulty of getting that job or getting that ID are, um, are made up difficulties. Yeah. But you have to knock them out of the way. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're, yeah, there's a big spiritual, cultural, psychological mm-hmm. set of problems here. Yeah. Yes. But there, but like, if you say, Hey dummy, go get a, your ID and go get a job. It's like, yeah, that actually is a solution. No, right, <laughs> no. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I, I think, I think the thing that you're saying, it's like, you know, if it was just strategies, we'd have more social workers, but there's like, um, kind of these mysterious reasons, keeping people from acting in their, maybe in their better interest, or maybe in a way that seems more rational or whatever. Um, and some of those things are like spiritual poverty. And some of those things are like habits that you never learned (laughs) or gained. Um, well, I think they're those lack of faith, hope, and love. That's my thesis here, you know? Yeah. Um, like in order to like sacrifice for tomorrow, you have to have some trust and some hope, Yeah. you know, in order to put yourself out today and do these things you don't want to do to like Mm -hmm. get that reward. That's not even going to hit for a couple of weeks. You have to put in the time, you know what I mean? You have to believe it's going to pay. You have to believe in it, right? You have to believe that, right. that there is some, some. And a lot of that belief is actually in yourself and then, you know, just hope in general for a better mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it can't, it's not just belief in that, you know, this new job will actually process your paycheck. It's actually a, a different type of belief. It, you know, part of this like social safety net idea, like one of the things you were saying is that there's a lot of things. Um, a lot of people would help you if you fell into destitution, you know, and like if economic tragedy hit you, there's a lot of places, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of couches you can crash on. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like someone who's actually fallen through all that and is now on the street or in the homeless camp, they've burned a lot of bridges. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I would say in most extended families, there's actually, they know someone in the family who did burn all those bridges Mm -hmm. and who might literally be underneath the bridge. Like Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of wealthy people who have a kid underneath the bridge, Yeah, yeah, you know, and they've done everything they can think of and they've been burned so many times and they're finally like, I had to draw a line and now they're underneath the bridge, you know? Yes. Um, and it reminds me, um, we had a priest in DC and what, you know, people knock on the rectory door and they ask for help and they show themselves, they show the problem and the destitution. And he's like, he said, he used to say like, where is your family? And they always Mm -hmm. have some reason. And he'd be like, Mm -hmm. now where's your community? Now, why aren't you doing that? Yeah. Right. And I think he'd end up helping them anyway, but he's kind of pointing at the obvious thing. Like the simple story you get from the person who's suffering is usually not the real story. Yeah. Yeah. 
something at Simple House will say, like, you got to know a homeless person three months before you really know why they're on the street. Right, right. And I, I think this is I wanted to comment on that. Um, people give you these like kind of like, oh, you know, I I felt like I had more freedom on the street and I could like people give you these reasons for why they're on the street. They'll give you a million reasons why they're on the street and why they don't need help. And I, I feel like this is something we need to like help our like younger missionaries maybe with like, like people are going to give you these reasons and they're going to maybe sound convincing and maybe they're trying to convince themselves, but like nobody wants to live and sleep in like five degrees weather, you know, like a healthy person does not want to sleep in five degrees all winter long, you know, and it gets very cold in Kansas City, a little less cold in D.C., but it's very cold. It's uncomfortable. It's terrible. And there almost always are is a bed at the shelter they could have if they really mm -hmm. wanted it. Yes. You know, yes. so why are they not going yeah, like, to that bed? You know, at the edge of will I die tonight <laughs> every day, you know, um, and these homeless camps are not good places. These are places where like. People are beaten publicly, women mm -hmm. and men. You know, there's mm -hmm. places where rape happens. There are places mm -hmm. where people die of ODs. These are very, like, bad places, and the people in there know it. Yeah. Like, we've let, we met a pregnant woman who had literally been shot in the foot by an ex-boyfriend, and she was still choosing to be in the homeless camp. Yeah. Then, like, go get take care of the baby. We did help her. She did have the baby. The baby was healthy, and the baby was immediately taken away by social services. Mm -hmm. um, God bless everyone involved in that. We had to put her in a hotel for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, it's just, like, the idea of that, like, that you're pregnant, and you're still not willing to go to the shelter, and that you got shot in the foot, and you're still not even willing to go yeah. <laughs> to yeah. get the yeah. health care you need from the hospital. You'd rather be in this homeless camp, and homeless camp's yeah. just not a good place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let me say also, so a long time ago, this might make it a little bit more lighthearted, there was an independent film director, it's like 0506, who, who somehow came to Simple House with their lead assistant and uh, wanted to was working on a film and wanted to get the details right, right? Now, it was an independent film, and the, the idea was it was going to be a field hockey film. So you already know it's got a kind of limited audience. It was going to be an all-girls school field hockey film. It wasn't lacrosse. Okay, it was lacrosse. It was lacrosse? Whatever, I think, anyway. Okay, all right, no, you're right. I, that's fine. So do you remember the name of it? Because I couldn't figure that out. No. I just Googled, like, field hockey film, I, and, like, four came up. And I, I was I like, can. oh, there's four field hockey films. <laughs> anyway, so I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you the plot. The plot was that a girl raised by her grandmother in the inner city goes to the elite girls' high school plays field hockey and then has this tension with like the beautiful blonde privileged girl at the, you know, high school. And then they like work it out, you know, yeah. no problem with this. They were coming to talk to me about kind of authentically portraying the girl from the inner city <laughs> being raised by her grandma. And my problem was that no one who's been through this school district can go to an elite high school. Yeah. You know, they don't have the social, like even if you, they have, the, it's not a money issue. It's just a, like, you've never had to do homework before, and you're going into the most intense homework environment that's ever happened. You've had a very bad education up to now, even if you were the best student in the class. You know, it's even for a genius. A genius might be able to handle the conceptual load of an elite high school, even if they had a bad elementary school education, but they can't handle the social and the workload of it. You know, it's just like too much to like ask one person. It'd be such a miracle. The whole movie should be about that person, not about field, not about lacrosse, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, and the Jesuits figured right, this like out. Right, like someone that was more on the, yeah, like, right, on the edge of existence, right, is not going to have the skills necessary to survive at the school that was. But, I, and I think, like, an interesting thing is um, so many examples of kind of how kids were not properly educated, you know, and uh, one one girl we knew in the ministry who had done pretty well, who wanted to graduate, who, like, really uh like kept her eyes <laughs> you know like was really on the ball like graduated actually like senior year when she was supposed to graduate like couldn't pass the um army entrance exam you know um and i yeah so there's there's like a Right. Like the education had failed to such a point she couldn't yeah. pass. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say, though, this is actually not the main point here, but the Jesuits figured this out and figured that if they wanted to have a diverse high school, like if they wanted their elite high school, which they have to be diverse, they actually have to found a middle school because they basically need three years to take this person from the bad inner to take the bright kid from the bad inner city school, give them three years of formation before yeah. they're ready to enter the high school. Yeah. Yeah. And they did that in D.C. There was a Jesuit middle school that just served that purpose. Yeah, I don't know how there. successful it was. I think but, it's yeah. still there. I think it's still going. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, well, OK, so here. So I was kind of like, guys, your whole premise just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't listen to me. They made the movie anyway. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that they said is they wanted they were talking about the idea of crabs in a barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about you don't need to put a lid on a barrel of crabs because they pull each other back down as they try to climb out of the barrel. Mm. Right. And that is poverty, man. And so the director was like, Hey, I got this great idea using this line crabs in a barrel, blah, 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 blah. And that's what poverty's like. And, uh, the thing was like, I think Romeo must die or something. Some movie like that had just come out and they'd use that line. I go, I think that line was just used in a recent movie. And the, the director was like, what? And then the assistant was like, yeah, he's right. And the director was just so crestfallen because it's like such a great line. It, it, but, yeah. but it's true. I mean, I, I just did that enormous aside to say that that is the problem of poverty. Like your yeah. own family starts pulling you back into poverty. Like you'll see people get jobs and then everyone borrows their money or demands their money. Yeah. Or you see people like receive something nice and then they... um ruin it because of their friends you know and, and and it's oftentimes like even people that like they really love the person like it's not just like jealousy and like you kind of hate this girl and you're gonna sabotage her or something you know like i don't know i think that there's something crooked there that is not love i, th I oh, don't no, think that's I agree, real love. i agree that there is something that is not love i i right I think like that these are these are real authentic people to them, but there there's something malicious in that, you know? Yeah, I think it's done unwittingly sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like if it was better examined, you it would be easy to discover that it was not a loving thing to do. But right. Yeah. It's almost like you meet people who have like an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend and they don't necessarily wish that person succeeds. Yeah. <laughs> if they got burned, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, it's also like I was thinking of um, this idea of drug buddies. Yeah. You know, uh, I even looked up this old Lemonhead song I remembered from my youth called Drug yeah, Buddies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, was, yeah. Tended, it didn't make the point I wanted it to make or I was going to quote it. These drug buddies are just not the people who are ever going to help you get sober. And they're actually not going to cheer you on and support you. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. 
And that is the problem of the poor. And so part of like the work of a missionary is like being a like sanity line in someone's life and yeah. trying to help them see the sane, you know, yeah. and be there for them during yeah. that. You yeah. know, and and sometimes we're in a situation where we cannot do enough to help someone do that. And this has bothered me and I'm still looking for a solution to this. And yeah. the thing I keep thinking of is like you can go into like a flop house, meaning like a house where no one's working, a house that's in poverty, a house where just all the priorities are wrong, right? And there'll be kids there, you know? And you can meet like a 12-year-old girl who still has like innocence in her, you mm -hmm. know? Like quite a bit of innocence, like hasn't kind of... And you can talk to her about chastity or whatever all day long, but if you leave her in that flop house, I, yeah. it's not clear what how you've helped her. Yeah. You know, because even if she loved the ideas and loved the morality speech and loved the Christianity idea, if you leave her the other, you know, tw 23 and a half hours of the day in that setting, mm -hmm. it's just such a, there's just, it's just, there's no mission work to be done in that kind of one touch mode, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't have a solution to that yeah, yet. Yeah. I, I think like uh, sometimes it's, like part of the work of a simple house is like helping somebody imagine a different future and that it takes like cultivation, you know? <laughs> um, and, and this is also why we focus on parents. Mm -hmm. You know, I started focusing on parents primarily because I couldn't find other missionary mission groups that did. And I felt like they were like, kind of like thought of as too far gone. Yeah. You know, which, like, which like, is like, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Not Christian. Yeah. Yeah, like you find these inner city youth camps are trying to save the kids, but you don't actually find someone trying to save the 30-year-olds, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I started realizing that if we can take a 30-year-old and make them like 10% better, you know, the benefit you do to that person's children is enormous. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you're not like totally healing their life, you know, with yeah. God and making a, a complete convert and helping them escape poverty, if you even make them just a little bit better, it passes on to the kids huge. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids just sit there and like watch you work with their parent and talk with them and be friends with them. And the kids are so happy to yeah. see it. Yeah. You know, it's just so interesting. Yeah. But um, I have a question about something you said in the essay. You said sometimes people have counterproductive motives. And if they take pride in their roles, their help falls flat. Can you explain more what you meant there? So let me just say all the main points, and that's one of the main points. So the main point is there's people in destitution that have a problem that's not material or political in nature, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then these people are sabotaged by the people they know and by themselves sometimes, right? And then there's also people who go to help them. And some of the people who go to help them are, in a sense, prideful, right? And they're taking pride in, like, saving the person or they, they're starting to see the person make progress and they're so satisfied. And then the person very naturally has a slip up, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're from a bad environment, you're going to lose a job before you can keep a job. Yeah. You know, you might lose five jobs before you can finally get one that sticks, right? And what you see in the person offering the help is when the person, they're so happy that they got this person a job that when the person loses it, they're pissed, and that pissed yeah. is not coming from love. Yeah. That pissed is coming from pride. And the pissed is coming from an untrue or um, a misplaced motive of the uh, person doing the mission work. Yeah. You know, and I felt it myself before and I've oh, had yeah. misplaced motives. Yeah. And um, but it's the type of thing I've got to like coach out of our missionaries. It's also yeah. the type of thing that gets you burnt out.
Mm Because like after you've like helped a couple people and they've gone, wait, if you go talk to someone at a battered women's shelter, they've seen so many abused women go back to relationships. Yeah. You know, and some of them died when they did. Yes. You know, and they've seen that. Right. Yep. And if they're going to persevere in that work, they're going to have to know that happens, love them anyway, let them know they're going to love them no matter what choice they make. It's like an unconditional love. And that's what God's giving us. And that's what we have to help the poor with. And if you give less than that, like you just try to give a productive help or something like that, you're going to fall flat. Right. I think there's a lot of natural emotions. Like, do you know how much I've helped you (laughs) for you to do this? But, um, and I like, I like this example of, um, who said this the other day, somebody like a woman that worked at a battered women's shelter said, uh, I forget what the number is, but it's like usually it takes people need to leave their abuser like seven times or something before they can finally make the break. And it's like, um, I, I do think this is like a lot at a simple house. It's like loving someone while watching them make decisions that you think are bad for them. You don't agree with, um, you know, it, it's it's like is a hard thing to do. <laughs> right. But it's also yeah. about like loving them for who they are, which is the image and likeness of God. You're not loving them for what they achieve, you know? Right. And it's like, it's like the way you love your child, even if your child goes bad. It's hard to love them, right? Because you have to get, um, you have to let go of your expectations. (laughs) Like, it's like you have hope for them, but you have to let go of like your plan and expectations a little bit to love them. Right. And it's hard to do that when you think, you know, you know, and, and people sense this meaning like, you need to love someone even if they fail and when they fail and mm-hmm. that your friendship and love is going to transcend the failure mm-hmm. and they need to know that from the beginning. Yeah. Cause that's or the they support don't come they back. need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. If, if they feel like your love is conditional on their success, um, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and it's really all about this, like love without counting the cost. Yeah. I don't think that's in the Bible, but I know the sentiment is, but where's that term come from? Love without is counting it- the cost. A saint or a pope or I don't, I don't know. know, whatever. We all know it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but like if you're counting the cost, if you're thinking about your investment in the person that was wasted, you're doomed. And it's yeah. like God never thinks that way because his resources are infinite. Yeah. And uh, no matter how many times you screw up, it's not like he has to like go to the bank account and be like, oh, I'm so much poorer because I spent this on helping this person and they didn't make it. You know, um, that can't be the calculation when you're doing mission work. Right. But anyway, so. Hopefully what you're doing is you're inspiring someone to want to be better and want to help themselves and be sane, you know? And then once they tap into, I think this is so interesting because like a lot of the critique of our political situation is looking at destitute people and being like, well, the safety nets failed. Right. My point is the safety net could have never worked for that person. Yeah. I I always feel like uh, this happens like frequently. I'm like, the safety net is way more robust than people think it is. And then on the other hand, the safety net <laughs> sucks way more than people understand it does, you know, like, um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I, sure there's, there are tweaks that could be made, but I think that it is better and worse than people think it is, is, is kind of evidence that the safety net is not actually the whole thing. You know, the article I've seen over and over is this article of like some like entrepreneur or tech CEO or whatever mm-hmm. decided they were going to live on food stamps for a week. Oh yeah. 
you know, <laughs> or for a month or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they or show or their like shopping cart and they just yeah. like, how do people even live? Right. And it's like, like, I hope they at least went to Aldi because it's not even clear from some of the articles that the person yeah. even made smart choices. You know, yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. you got to go to Walmart. I know that might be beneath you, but you got to go to Walmart. Yeah. But the other, the point though is that that's not the U.S. safety net. Yeah. The U.S. safety net is not federal programs. The U.S. safety net is federal programs, the local food pantry, the local church, uh, the public-private partnerships like we were talking yeah. about with Just Homes. You know, like that's how we built our safety net in this country. And if you want just a governmental safety net, you're not in the right place. It was never meant to be that. And mm-hmm. it's also a weird attitude, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think the safety net is more or less adequate. Uh, it could be bettered, but it, it doesn't need um, massive more funding. It just needs smarter. Yeah. You know, yeah. but even when you make it smarter, it's not going to actually solve destitution because destitution is a different type of problem. Right. Um, I've never thought about this exactly before that, um, because I, I think a lot of times, um, in our ministry and in other ministries, you think of like the, the grandma that is very joyful and inspiring to our volunteers, you know, um, like we, we come across really inspiring people that live in the projects, you know, um, and that those people do not live in the homeless camp. It's right. a very simple <laughs> observation that I've never thought about. Yeah. Well, the observation that I feel like any serious discussion of poverty has to address, which has to do with this woman who's living a great life in the projects, is poverty is completely relative. Mm-hmm. Meaning like like a poor person today, even in public housing, has like better heating and AC than anyone had like a hundred years ago than yeah. Vanderbilt had, right? Yeah. Has better health care than Cornelius Vanderbilt, has a more variety of food available to them than Cornelius Vanderbilt, and has better entertainment at their fingertips, not saying moral, I'm just saying more yeah. entertaining, yeah. than Cornelius Vanderbilt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Than the wealthier than kings, you know, and in the past, right? Yes. <laughs> so like if we're going to talk about poverty, you can't skip that observation. Yeah. And this, right? and this was a big, you know, thing that Mother Teresa would talk about, like American poverty is a spiritual poverty. Yeah. And the strange study came out a couple of years ago that was like, if you take out all the money spent, all the resources spent on an American poor person, meaning like the food stamps, the TANF, the public housing or the Section 8 voucher, um, the tax returns and all that, and you add up all that money, that money is higher than the median income of Eastern European nations. Wow. You know, wow. so like this is a relative problem and any communist or someone who wants to like go at like some great injustice here is like missing the most basic observation of poverty. <laughs> it's like, right. I'm not saying poverty is not a problem. I'm saying yeah. get over that hump first. That's yeah. actually not about resources. It's something yeah. besides a resource problem. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, okay. Hey, let's um, switch gears. You ready for that? Let's do it. All right. Final topic. X. Okay. In case you're not aware, Elon Musk bought X over a year ago, right? <laughs> and um, his big push has been to not censor X, you know, and also to do... Uh, verification of individuals on X to get all the bots off of it, right? Formerly known as Twitter. 
So there still are tons, I think, of disinformation agents on there, but they're at least real people. <laughs> there's not as many. They're not artificial <laughs> intelligence. They're just people who yeah. are being paid to promote disinformation um, or have some incentive to. I have been permanently banned from Twitter. Mm, you've been censored. Yes, I have managed to get censored by the by the uh, platform that does not censor because I am I go just that hard, Laura. Wow. They could not handle the truth I was bringing to the table. <laughs> All right. The real story is many years ago, a great missionary we had named Bianca was managing our Twitter account and it was linked to my email for some reason. All right. Uh, I, at that point, you know, say this would have been like you know, almost 10 years ago, had no reason. I couldn't figure out what Twitter was. I was like, so these people talk in 144 characters. Like, how do you have good talks that way? Right. Like it's just just slogans for slogans or what's going on here. And I never even bothered to visit it because I couldn't even wrap my mind around what the point was, you know. So I had an account, but I wasn't managing it. Right. Now, Bianca did not get me banned. All right. After Bianca left Simple House, the account got hacked. And it became a cryptocurrency spam bot. Because it was like wallowing in uh, neglect. Yes. yes. So okay. it was basically promoting um, poop coins, as they say. <laughs> Pump they and dump scams and <laughs> cryptocurrency. Yeah. I think that's what it was doing. I can only yeah, guess yeah, yeah. by reading my own bio uh-huh. that that's what I was up to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got banned, right? So then when I finally log in, I go, oh, well, I'll appeal this ban. Mm-hmm. Within 24 hours, my appeal was heard and I was perma-banned. Was this <laughs> <laughs> under X or Twitter? Under X. This happened okay. last week. Last so, week. Wow. Because I've actually become interested in like X as a thing. Yeah. You know? And what I'm interested in is we have right now problems with no solution. Like I do not know how to end the suicide cult besides mm-hmm. like convert them all to Catholicism. You know? Um, I don't know how Islamic culture is going to like evolve or mm-hmm. take a step forward. I don't have any solution or I have no idea like how these things can even happen. Right. Like the yeah. solutions are not even been presented, you know, and I kind of think that freedom of speech is the dynamic thing that's a, like the immune system of the West. Right. So freedom of speech somehow through that marketplace of ideas, you're going to create the antibodies to the bad ideas. And right now, it seems like Musk and X is the um, at the forefront of like saying, here's where those antibodies are going to be created. Yeah. You know, um, it's been kind of surprising to me, like recently, by the way, there's a uh, there's kind of a free speech YouTube alternative called Rumble. Meaning like they're a less censorship oriented platform for videos. Right. Mm-hmm. And then otherwise they're basically like YouTube, but because they're, they have that agenda, you know, the people who kind of either get feel censored on YouTube gravitate towards it. Right. So it becomes very kind of right wing because they're the ones who get censored. Yeah. You know, uh, we had a video of ours. So we've been posting with a delay to rumble. We had a video go viral on rumble that, went more viral than it ever did on YouTube, which is so weird because the yeah. audience size of Rumble is is only a was probably not even one percent of YouTube, you know? Yeah. Um I made that statistic up. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, much smaller, right? Yeah, much smaller, right? And it's the uh Chad Perot episode we did maybe seven months ago. 
He was like the Presbyterian pastor who became a Catholic catechist. Mm-hmm. And it got over 4,000 views on Rumble. And it's like, at, it went pretty well on our channel. Like, it's like one of the highest viewed videos we ever made yeah. uh, for our podcast. But the fact that it kind of went viral on Rumble was very uh, surprising. Yeah. I'm curious to know how many users Rumble has. Well, look that up. But the reason why I brought this up in the context of X was um, it affirmed, by the way, that we our podcast, we need to take more, pay more attention to Rumble. But mm-hmm. uh, Chad had never heard of Rumble. Okay. And he's a fairly conservative guy, but had never even heard of it. You know, and then some of my other friends have never even heard of it. Mm. And that surprised me because I feel like this like energy for free speech is one of the most important things we can be doing as a civilization even, you know? And um, so I think X is the best freedom of speech marketplace. But the weird thing about it is everyone on X is like a complete warrior mentality. Like, I don't get why it is so caustic, you know? Like that communication promotes that? Why, why that communication promotes that type of behavior or discussion or attracts that kind of person. Like you've heard the term like Twitter wars. Yeah. I don't hear like Instagram wars, Facebook wars. Like that term is more a Twitter phenomena than all the other social media platforms. Right. Somehow, like if you're a proud user of Twitter, it's as if you're like, you know how samurais would like show 10 inches of their blade and stand at the ready. Mm-hmm. I feel like all the Twitter warriors are like standing like that in a room and they're very proud of themselves for how battle ready they are. And that's just what Twitter is. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there were mommy wars on Facebook, but yeah, but somehow Facebook is also used for nicer things as well. <laughs> right. I, I do think though that like the mommy wars... <laughs> may have drawn real blood and been been caustic but i don't know i don't know if it really compares to like what goes on over there at, i'm like i'm shocked because i'm i'm now as a kind of a new ex observer what's also funny is because i'm banned uh my time like what they present to me is like uncurated like it's not like the ai hasn't been able to like curate my feed because like i can't register anything yeah you know so like I'm getting like inner city Twitter. I'm seeing videos that are really weird and violent. I'm seeing like Taylor Swift all the time. I'm seeing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, like every, every once in a while I see something I want to see, yeah. but it's just like weird. I'm also kind of getting like the uncensored feed, you know? Yeah. Um, would you like to know what percentage of Rumble users uh, heard our podcast? Right. 0.00055% <laughs> of Rumble users. <laughs> Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. So you're saying it, they're much bigger than 4,000 people. Okay, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, that was my question. It says... Okay, it's, good, good, good. All right, we went viral, million, but... 78 we, million, but still. There's some, lot, 78 million users of Rumble. Yeah. I wonder how many users of Facebook, of YouTube there are. Maybe over a billion. There's got to be over a billion. I would think right? billions, like... I would think billions, yeah. yeah. I would also think that Rumble might <laughs> have a big incentive to inflate their number, but... um. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. Well, another yeah. I thought here is that the West, you'll hear the term Western dualism. I've never heard like a great definition of that. A lot of Catholics think that means dualism in the sense of like a uh, mind-body dualism. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually think Western dualism is far beyond mind-body. I think it means that we love to have two opposite poles. 
Western dualism is different from the philosophical problem of dualism. Well, it is a philosophical problem, the way the thing I'm going to describe. Okay, go ahead. You know, like, um, like an Asian person, like the Asian mind, the science talk about the Semitic mind, the Asian mind, the Western mind, mm-hmm. right? So the Asian mind is kind of the type of person who can like, this is very foreign to Westerners, but they'll like think about communism and they'll think, oh, well, that's what communism is. Then they'll think about capitalism and they go, that's what capitalism is. And then you ask them, are you a communist or a capitalist? And sometimes that question's kind of foreign because they're like, well, you know, I, I understand communism and when it's good, it, let's use communism. And when, mm-hmm. when capitalism's good, let's use capitalism, right? And to a Westerner, it's like, well, are you a libertarian or are you a commie? You know, and when you are, you are, you know, uh, and one's evil and one's good. And I think that's what I see that in the West. And to me, that's what Western dualism is. Like, we like to take two poles. We get mm-hmm. extreme about it. We don't try to, like, understand. We don't uh, we, we, we are trying to build an understanding, but we're trying to choose a side, you know, like with yeah. the Palestinian Israel conflict. You can't just yeah. say it sucks. You can't just say it's bad that the that Israel does this. It's bad that the Palestinians do this and whatever. Yeah. You can't just say that. You know, you have to somehow choose a side. Yeah. You know? Um, which isn't logical most of the time. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You, you know, my kids is like anytime they hear of like a conflict, you know, like Ukraine, Russia, or whatever, they're like, "Which side are we cheering for?" <laughs> right, like right. it's like a sports game or something, but not that they see it as entertainment. They, right, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous, but I kind of think that's what's happening on Twitter. Oh I yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think that dualism is always on Twitter. You yeah. know, like you're either so for Black Lives Matter or so anti Black Lives Matter. Yeah. You know, it's either the worst hoax ever pulled on humanity or the best thing that we need to save us. Yeah. You know, yeah. it can't just be a questionable phenomena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and part yeah. of that's because that doesn't go viral, but part of that's also because we as Westerners somehow get trapped into this form of thinking. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful that like, Let's take something worse than X. Let's talk about 4chan. You know what 4chan is, Laura? Yes. Okay. 4chan is someplace you should never go. <laughs> I was told this by one of our old missionaries. This person knew what 4chan was, was kind of a nerd that way. And they were yeah. like, Clark, you should never go there. But yeah. frankly, it is hilarious. But you should never <laughs> go there. It's very evil. <laughs> and so, of course, I go there, right? And then you immediately see why it's evil. Clark. You know? But 4chan... Is it's not clear that that's hasn't been a net good, you know. Like a lot of the best memes, a lot of the things that really hit on the social critiques have come mm-hmm. from 4chan. It is yeah. like the meme breeding ground, you know. And so, despite all the other things that happen on 4chan, I mean, I think people would say it's also like the white supremacy breeding ground, also. <laughs> right, um, and you can't actually figure out what's what there. You can tell people on 4chan love to say things that upset people like they live for that like it's trolls to the max is what 4chan's motto should be trolls to the max right yeah but the trolls have been very valuable for our culture you know and if you we did not have those trolls i think we'd be in a worse place than we are now it's kind of like we watched uh, south park and i immediately regretted watching south park because of all the crassness but South Park was like hitting the nails on the head with like a critique of Disney and a critique of and, um, and a, as it has for many, many years. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah. I think South Park could be a 
net social good. Yeah. Even though it's completely inappropriate. Yeah. Even though it might damage you morally a little bit when you watch it. Yeah. I'm not sure it's not a net social good. Yeah. Anyway, so I think I think X is too, even though it's so caustic. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I would say South Park is more valuable than X. <laughs> no, I but think you're, that you're South saying Park, for the as a as a free speech as a as a platform for free speech. I think X. you are um not tr- seeing the lines correctly. The creators of South Park are definitely on 4chan and reading X. I'll oh. guarantee you oh, that oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know no, what I mean? No, 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 The writers yeah. right, right, right. Are, are, are getting their inspiration 100%. from 4chan and yeah. X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. so you can't have a South Park without an X and yeah. without a 4chan, you know? I mean, we and, did before, but but there was some <laughs> avenue. <laughs> <laughs> South no, Park right. precedes both right. of those things. I over um, I overstated my case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like I feel like I am for purity, I am for love, I'm for the Catholic church, I'm for the Catholic moral vision. Uh and I think we need to allow exes to exist, and I think they're very important. <laughs> and not because of the sin that might happen there, but just somehow that freedom that is there is um i hope what is gonna help us through the currently unsolvable problems yeah i kind of don't think it's gonna come from a couple guys studying at a university no you know yeah all right okay i think that was a simpleton podcast see you later clark (laughs) see you later laura (laughs) please like subscribe and share Thank you for doing that work, Laura. You're welcome. All right. Peace out. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.